Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 37 for April 7th, 2011. Yeah, so we'll be, we're winding down our uh, post the motion picture era series here. So we're doing Marvel number 14 and comic strip number 16. So we really only have four more of these episodes for this era. So... Yeah, which is good. I mean, it's it's good going through these stories. I like these stories, but you know, we've been here a while. I'm about ready yeah. to move on to something else. Ready to move on. Yeah, I'm glad we're I'm glad we're doing it, and I'm glad we're doing all three of the post motion picture continuities: the comic strip, the first Marvel series, the second Marvel series, all at the same time. And you know, once we're done, we'll be done with this this era altogether. Cool. But it's good. I like it. <sighs> Me too. So, uh, without any further ado, you want to just jump straight into Marvel number 14? Let's do it. The title is, We Are Dying, Egypt. Dying! And that's, you know, that's the way they pretty much uh, do it with the typeset they use in in the title page. Okay, so this is uh, published date June 1981. Writer is Martin Pascoe. Artists are Luke McDonald and Gene Day. Colors are by Carl Gafford. Letterer is John Morelli. Editor is Louise Jones. Editor-in-chief is Jim Shooter. How cool. All names I can pronounce. Perfect, for a change. The cover shows a huge animated sphinx that is moving and attacking. A guy in a weird green bodysuit is pinned by the right front paw, and the left paw is being hit by weapons fire from two white-suited guys to the right and in the background. Spock and McCoy are in the foreground and to the right. Spock is firing his phaser at the living Sphinx's head, while McCoy is yelling at a hugely muscled guy in a King Tut suit. King Tut is apparently Kirk, on steroids, who is claiming he is the Holy Pharaoh, and that by his decree, everyone shall perish. Okay, so that really piques your interest. So what the heck's going on? The story opens up, with a full-page panel showing Kirk and Spock on the bridge, looking at the view screen, which is displaying a scene of desert and pyramids. Kirk states it looks like ancient Egypt, but it's actually Zeta Reticuli II, a planet far from Earth. Kirk conjectures it might be a parallel development situation, but Spock says it may be, but it also may be the ruins of a world that developed close to being parallel on Earth, but may not be exactly the same. Kirk orders a landing party be formed. Cut to an Enterprise briefing room, where Kirk is addressing the bridge crew on the fact that this will be the first Federation visit to Zeta Reticuli II, and in about two solar days it will be bombarded by asteroids, most of which will reach the surface. The landing party's mission will be to see if there is any intelligent life before the meteors arrive. 
On the planet, Kirk and McCoy and the rest of the landing party begin the search. McCoy and Kirk enter what appears to be a burial chamber and indeed find it full of mummies. They also find the whole building is enveloped in a high-energy field. As they look for the source of the energy, they hear a commotion outside. A huge sphinx-like statue is moving and attacking the landing party. They scatter to avoid being trampled, but as they do so, blue beams come out of the statue's eyes, which hit a security man. Meanwhile, Kirk and McCoy run out of the building to join the fight, but Kirk stumbles on a loose stone and, and instinctively grabs out and ends up grabbing the scepter of the Conum statue, which they passed on the way into the building. Outside, the rampage continues until Uhura, McCoy, and Chekhov fire together on the neck joint of the Sphinx, which decapitates it. Just when the landing parties begin feeling relief, Kirk steps out of the building and stuns them all with his phaser. Back on the Enterprise, Spock is worried about the landing party not checking in for two hours. They call Kirk to inform him of the meteorite's progress, which is on schedule and 42 hours away from impact. Kirk replies, but abruptly tells them things are going fine and not to call him again. Scotty and Spock know something is wrong. On the planet, in a temple chamber, McCoy reports that Sulu has a broken leg, but he has with him what he needs for a temporary repair. Kirk replies with great anger that he is no longer Jim, but rather he is Mentepata II, descendant of Pharon, who has returned to save his people from the death that comes from the sky. After that rant, he takes their communicators and zaps McCoy in the process to impress on him that he is the pharaoh and he's not going to take any crap from anybody. Luckily, the good doctor, as per Starfleet standard operating procedure, recovered an additional communicator from one of the security men killed in the Sphinx attack, so they can contact the ship. Back on the ship, the replacement communications officer reports to Spock that no one is answering their communicators, so Spock says he's beaming down. Kirk slash Mentaptah the second blasts what he thinks are all the communicators in front of the statue we saw earlier. He talks to the statue, saying McCoy and Sulu will join the rest of his servants soon. The statue that turns out to be Mentempaw the first, the father of the race memory that took over Kirk, the statue explains how he took over Kirk, who is now his son. He talks about his apparently all-male remaining subjects and how his son will see them to a new world where they will mate with the women of that planet. His son, Kirk slash Menopause II, says he found a new home for his people, and its name is Earth. So now we have the threat established. Meanwhile... McCoy's stashed communicator beeps to life while he is mending Sulu's broken leg. McCoy says he wanted to wait to use it until he knew they would not be overheard, but he has to answer it now. He is able to tell Spox there is something wrong with Jim and that he'd better get down on the planet pronto before Kirk slash Menopaw II enters the room and blasts him with a ray shot from his staff. Kirk comes in and blasts him. So what McCoy was afraid of happening actually happened. Communications is cut off, and Spock says he's beaming down right away. 
Uhura enters the room in an Egyptian getup, and Kirk calls her his queen. They take McCoy to another room where most of the landing party are hooked up to IV units that Kirk says is pumping the elixir of obedience into them. Spock beams down and moves towards where his tricorder says life signs are. Meanwhile, inside, Kirk asks the statue of his father to help to defeat those in the Enterprise who would stand in the way of their plan. The statue head turns, and white-hot beams of light come out of his eyes, which shoot across the open stretch and hits a pyramid opposite the mausoleum building. The white beams activate a purple snaking light beam that hits the Enterprise. Ahura hooks Sulu and McCoy up to the IVs, but after she leaves McCoy to attend to Sulu, McCoy sneakily removes the IV from his arm. As Spock makes his way to the building with the life forms, he is contacted by Scotty, who says they have been hit by a beam of unknown energy from the surface. The energy, as daft as it sounds, is shrinking the Enterprise, but not the crew. If it keeps on going the way it's going, they will all be crushed. Spock tells them to put science personnel on the problem and get everyone to the wreck deck, which happens to be the biggest open space on the ship. Spock enters the temple and confronts Kirk slash Mentempah II, standing in front of the Big Daddy statue. Kirk and Spock struggle when suddenly the statue shoots his white-hot eye beams at the ground, which opens up a big pit. Meanwhile, McCoy jumps off his bed and grabs Uhura from behind. He injects her with Cordrazine that counteracts Mentempah's psychoactive drugs. They both start administering the Cordrazine to the rest of the landing party. Spock realizes that the statue is important to Kirk and decides it is somehow the source of his current state. Spock blasts the statue with his phaser and Kirk snacks, snaps out of his identity crisis. Spock deduces a very sophisticated computer must have been housed in that statue and it was exerting influence over Kirk. Spock contacts the Enterprise and finds out from Scotty the situation is critical. The bridge crew can barely fit, and they can't transport to the surface either. Scotty says they have less than 15 minutes. McCoy and Uhura discover that the energy field that was surrounding the building is now down, and the tricorders are now picking up many life forms. The life forms, as in the mummies, are awakening. Indeed, one of them sees the landing party and tells his fellow ex-mummies to attack the landing party. Kirk and Spock find another computer, and through it, Spock discovers the weapons and other advanced technology was a gift to the native people by benevolent alien visitors. Multiple computers were left behind to watch over them and were taken as gods by the natives. Thinning atmosphere after a 4,000-year span allowed excessive radiation in. The Guardian computer's solution was to put most of the population in suspended animation while a smaller group of natives took off in a spaceship to find a habitable world. That ship so far has not returned, but when Kirk accidentally touched the staff, it mistook him for the real descendants of Mentempah and made him king in name and thought. Spock thinks he found instrumentation that will shoot a beam at the Enterprise that will counteract the shrinking effect. Kirk realizes that the Kanum statue computer that's just been knocked out 
was controlling the power field, and that power field in the sleep chamber could have been affected, which might have done something to the mummies. Cut to the sleep chamber, with the mummies awake and attacking the landing party. Phasers are firing, but there are too many of them, and the landing party is overwhelmed by superior numbers. Suddenly, Kirk breaks into the room in his Mentempa 2 costume, and on telling the sleepers to cease their attack, they do. Just then, Spock receives a call from Scotty, who reports that the new beam is working and the Enterprise is slowly expanding to its normal size. Spock tells Scotty to beam the entire landing party up. They intercept the meteors and destroy them with photon torpedoes before they can hit the planet. Kirk says they are going to pick up the planet's survivors and relocate them to a habitable planet with reasonable radiation levels. They are going to teach them how to govern themselves since they will not have their computer gods anymore to protect them. The issue ends with a weak joke made by McCoy concerning Spock's ears being like a half-jackal, half-human god Anubis. The end. So they had the same... Egyptian gods, or was he just trying to make a joke? That's a good question. They do show a picture of, of Anubis, the Anubis statue, but I'm not sure whether it's from the computer's uh, records or whether it was something they saw on the planet. Right. But again, it's it's a jackal thing, so it's got high, pointy uh, ears. It does indeed. So it does. Sorry it was such a long a synopsis, but there was a lot going on there, and I didn't want to Go no, too light on some of the details. Yeah, absolutely. It was good. My big question is, if they could have destroyed those meteors from hitting that planet in the first place, why did they try to go down to the planet and gather what they could before it was destroyed? They went down to the planet to see if there's any intelligent life, but at the beginning of the issue, I don't remember them seeing what they were going to do about it if they found anybody. Yeah, well, I was just assuming that they would try to relocate them. We've we've seen them do that so many times in Star Trek where right. the planet's going to get hit by a meteor. You go in there, find out that there's people there. You try to get them off. Right. Yep. Uh, I've never seen them say, oh, there are people here. Let's go blow up the meteor and it actually work. <laughs> right. <laughs> I did, th- th- There was uh, what I thought was a pretty good uh, next-gen episode where because of the composition of the meteor, right, they couldn't blow it up. That was kind of interesting. What they were doing to try other things they were trying to do to uh, save the planet. Right, and and in, and so far in, in these stories, just in this post motion picture era, I mean, we've had an, the episode where those, and again, it was kind of an Egyptian theme, but they were those little guys, those little telepathic guys that had like the calendar that was going to predict the future, and but they were kind of like in a pyramid thing too. You remember that? Yep. And that planet was going to get destroyed and they had to take everybody off. Right. And then the other one where the the animals that looked like just dumb beasts were not dumb at all and had their own telepathic powers where together they could uh, deflect the uh, meteorite. Oh, yeah, that's right. Could, I forgot about that one. So there were uh, uh, this theme coming up multiple times. Yeah. But, man, they sure made this look interesting. I mean, at the beginning they said that it's made up mostly of iron, and they actually, I think they actually used an accurate scientific uh, term for that kind of a meteorite. So they're basically saying it's it's made up mostly iron, it's going to get through the atmosphere. It's not going to just burn up. So that may, you know, sounds like a pretty tough asteroids. 
but, but uh, meteorite. But, but yeah, so photon torpedoes can blow it up, though. Well, it, it seemed a little handy. <laughs> I mean, there seemed to be a lot of them, and they were able to blow them all up. So, yeah, yeah, that's cool. But it just seemed a little handy. But whatever. Uh, okay, so in general, if I may comment on the book, please. Overall, I did like the comic, except that there was some glaring problems that I was deducting uh, points for. Like, number one, gotta say it, the Enterprise shrinking, but the crew not shrinking. I mean, oh, is this honey? The, is this is this honey? Part. Is this honey? I shrunk the kids. I mean, is this Disney time? It's like, ah, I hate when they do things like that. Yeah, and I kept wondering. I was like, "How do they know they're not just getting bigger?" <laughs> how, how are they sure that it's the Enterprise shrinking? Good, good question. <laughs> good question. I mean, e- even if they go into sick bay and try to measure themselves, you know, with that little metal thing that comes up, you know, how, how do they know? Right. Uh, the, yeah, the shots of them still trying to use the dials and the uh, control panel uh, uh-huh. as they're now giants. I mean, yeah. it, it's. It has to be in there for a comedic effect. I mean, that's that's the only thing I can think of why they did that. <laughs> and they they had to do something to to, to threaten the ship. They had to. Uh, so that you know that that was part of the storyline. Yeah, but it's just but... it's just that that they brought they they did this. <laughs> I mean, I, I just wish they could have done something. I mean, it's creative. Okay, so I'll, I'll give it points for creativity. Uh, something different. But it's like, oh, it's just it's shrink ray. Oh God, I don't know. I think I think I would have rather them just. I mean, like a couple of weeks ago, we just had an unknown stasis field surrounds the Enterprise, and it's going to blow up in fourteen hours with no explanation. <laughs> I think I would have rather had that than it's shrinking. Yeah, or yeah, it, the the beam is shooting a dampening field. The engines are are paralyzed. And and we're we're in a rapid decaying orbit. Oh, right. Something something other than shrink ray. All right, I agree. All right, what were the other ones you gave points off? For? Uh, number two, Spock going down alone. Now, mind you, everybody's drawn here like superheroes. So everybody's got big muscles and everything, and Spock is doing some pretty cool, uh, you know, superhero kind of moves, avoiding uh, beams of energy and that kind of thing. But it's like Spock goes down alone. I would have went down with, you know, a whole security detail. It's like... Right. Oh, it's not, it's not like he didn't know the poop had already hit the fan. I mean, he exactly. already has an idea about how bad it is. Right. Yeah, so why does he go down alone? Good point. I don't know. Um, uh, I already mentioned it. Everyone's drawn, drawn like over-muscle superheroes. You know, not very accurate, but fine. It's a Marvel comic. Um, and then, of course, number four... The huge moving sphinx, which turns out to be a robot of some kind. So that was uh, that was kind of dumb. Yeah, I did like when they chopped the head off that you saw that there was mechanical bits yep. underneath the yep. the stone. I thought that was good. Yeah, I mean, it, they, they made it a little bit more plausible. But it's like, why, I mean, couldn't you have, like, maybe, like, really big uh, mechanical dogs or something? You know, why... But why do you need something the size of the Sphinx walking around? I mean, I don't know. It was it was spectacular. Again, uniqueness. It's just a little ridiculous. Yeah, the whole Egyptian parallel I thought was was. Uh, I mean, 
I, I would I would kind of classify the whole Egyptian thing into into that statement right there. Yeah. That you didn't really need it to be an, a parallel to Egypt. Right. Or, right. Right. But if you did have it a parallel to Egypt, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Does it have to be a sphinx size? I, mean, uh, I agree. It, we're a little ridiculous. Yeah. All right, what else you got? Overall, the, art, the artwork's good. I mean, you know, it, they, they spent some time on this. It's just that there are a few things that bug me. Um, on page 10, again, the Enterprise nacelles are way too low compared to the rest of the ship. I mean, it's almost, you know, it's not lateral with the engineering section, but it's way lower than they should be. Um, uh, where, where is that? That's when they get hit by the little purple ray? I'd have to go back and see what page 10 is. Purple ray, purple ray, purple ray, purple ray. Actually, there's, oh, a, there's oh, several... No. Yeah, okay, I see it. Well, yeah. There's multiple points in which they're showing the Enterprise, and the deflector dish doesn't look quite right. The engineering section doesn't look quite right. Even the even the saucer section doesn't quite look right. And then, though not absolutely horrible, the phasers, they look a little bit like the ones in the motion picture because they were kind of flat kind of things. They're, they're kind of like overgrown phaser-type ones with a, with a handle stuck on them. But it, it, so it kind of looks like that, but not really. I mean, they, they, they almost look like unrounded, squared-off boxes. So that wasn't very accurate. And then, and then Scotty's uniform? <sighs> Scotty's uniform, yeah, it looks like his pants are white, and the top of the uniform is some kind of green. And even even the material and, and, and the look of it doesn't look right. So the bottom line is uh, McDonald and Gene Day, they're into style. They know they're not 100% accurate with, uh, with the way things, these things are depicted in the movie, and they're fine with that. They're just going off and you know putting their own spin on things, which, looking at it that way, I should probably shut up and just accept it. Okay, so I just wanted to mention that. Good point. I'm done with my rant. <laughs> now, you were talking about how everybody has a superhero pose, but... Especially you... McCoy. Right. Oh, dude, McCoy has... McCoy is buff. <laughs> he is, like, busting out of that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but when Spock, a lot of the shots of Spock, he looks almost like a a gargoyle kind of thing. His head's always down low, kind of like he maybe even has, like, a hunchback type thing. Especially oh. like when he beams down, and he's like walking around next to the pyramids. He, right. He looks like they purposely drew him so that he looked like a, I don't know, an ogre type look. Yeah, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. But yeah, I, I, I'm glad you mentioned the McCoy thing because, man, he, the, those those arms are just like bulging out. Of the, the They're shirt. guns, baby. They're guns. <laughs> and, and the thing is, you know, uh, you know, Kirk was always, you know, he was in shape, and Spock was close enough to in shape, so that's fine. But it's like McCoy was always a skinny little guy, you know, especially by the time the motion picture film came out. So it it just was a big contrast. Right. Now the mummies, once they start coming out of their robes, now those guys, <laughs> they. They would win Mr. Universe every year. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're pretty big. <laughs> they are big mummies. Uh, I mean, considering... So how long have they been in a stasis field? I don't know, but... Looks like they've been doing some... Uh, some weights for a while. Right. You know, not to keep harping on the whole Egypt thing. I mean, just a, a few weeks ago, we did that Savage Within thing. Um, right. Comic strip where they were on a... A ship, 
that had reverted to kind of a uh, Egyptian hierarchy and mindset. You remember that one? Right. And there was all the little clans and stuff. So I liked right. I liked it in that one in that they were talking about how a civilization, you know, once completely cut off from the rest of the universe and confined to a, a ship would kind of revert back to this kind of mentality and stop using technology and go to more of a primitive type way of life. Right. Uh, I liked that use of, you know, Egyptian type themes better than I liked it here. Yeah. Because here you're talking about these people are advanced. They have these supercomputers, even if they were given to them by another alien race, uh, they do have them and they utilize them. And yet they still are these, they still live in pyramids and things like that. I just, yeah, little silly to me. Right. Yep. I agree. I have one more thing to say about this one because it, it'll dovetail with a comment I have in the next one. Okay. Um, Ohura, especially in some shots and some panels, she looks like a white woman that has been painted with a dark brown ink. So there's definitely the shot where McCoy is shooting her up with the cordrazine where she's got the tiniest little nose. She's got the tiniest little Barbie nose. And, well, she you know she just doesn't look like herself. Yeah, some shots she looks pretty good. But, yeah, you're right. Yeah. That one right there, she doesn't look like uh, Michelle. But right. the one right to the right of it, I think she looks pretty close. Yeah, closer. Closer. And yeah. if you look at a few pages earlier, you know, I, I think she looks more like herself, too. But Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of the art in here seems pretty inconsistent. Yeah. Like one panel looks like the actor and then the next panel it's just uh I mean look at McCoy in that shot where he's he's giving her the shot. Right. He looks more like oh, I don't even know. He does not look like uh McCoy at all. Yeah. Yeah, well they you know, he, he does he has a very uh, strong looking face with very deep features and yeah. Now, I thought you were going to mention the, the cortisone yeah. shot. I mean, it's yeah. an actual hypodermic, which... So it looks that way. And it's like... Oh, no, wait, actually, no, no, you're right, it is. And it's I, I'm... to his finger. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so so they don't even bother using... You know, that's a good point. I really it did, That didn't sink into me. That didn't click. But uh, that's not the good doctor's normal hypo. No, and I was thinking, well, are, is he not supposed to have it because Kirk blew it all up with the communicators, but no, he didn't. No, so he, no he only took the communicators. Right. And obviously he must have taken the phasers too, but they didn't show that part. Right. I did like how the uh, the, the backup crew on the uh, bridge was, you know, that, that red-headed woman and yep. a lizard-looking uh, mm -hmm. navigator. I thought that was right. kind of cool. Yeah. Well, more the lizard, I assume, than the, than the redhead. Or maybe you like the redhead. Well, I mean, I just like that they they try to introduce people. another character. Yep. Because usually, if the main crew is off, then then they don't really ever talk about who's who's their backup. Right. But you know, these people don't really do anything, but they're there. Exactly. Uh, anything else on that one? Not a thing. Yep. Me either. It was a good issue. It was not one of the uh, the best. Marvel issues, but it was good. 
Yeah, well, I had my doubts Overall. when I started looking at the cover and I see an Egyptian-looking Kirk yeah. <laughs> screaming out that he's uh, now a pharaoh or whatever. Yeah, right. Uh, I do like how on the cover, again, it's just comical. You mentioned what Kirk says while he's standing there, but but McCoy says, Jim, this is madness. We're your friends. Exactly. Your friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I had to cut something out. Yeah, but that's just no. funny. I mean, if that didn't get you to buy this comic, I don't know what would have. Uh, I I think it was the part about we're dying, Egypt, dying. Ah, <laughs> uh, anyways, <laughs> move on to the next one. Yeah, let's go on to the next comic strip. So this is the sixth sixteenth comic strip so there's only 20 total so we're getting close to the end uh they're all shorter and they're all came out after star trek 2 the motion picture the motion picture star trek 2 the wrath of khan but they still chronologically will take place before the wrath of khan because spock's still there so this is issue number 16 or story arc number 16 no title Release dates were February 14th, 1983 to May 7th, 1983. The writer is a new writer for us named Jerry Conway. And the artist is a one-time artist, Bob Myers. Not to jump to on my notes too early, but I'm kind of glad he's a one-time artist. Wasn't a hugest fan here. Me too. Although there are some things I did like about what he did. Overall, not too crazy about it. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into the story. So this, like I said earlier, this story is actually based after the second five-year mission. So uh, we're getting really close to the Wrath of Time timeline. Uh, Spock now is captain of the Enterprise. I'm assuming that it's still before the Enterprise becomes a, a training vessel. But Kirk is now taking the desk job again, and Spock definitely has command of the Enterprise. Saying that, uh, Admiral Kirk is ordered to retake command of the Enterprise to carry a diplomatic message to the Sangdor people. Uh, supposedly there's a Sangdor war going on between the Federation and themselves, which we've never heard about before, but it, it, it causes a lot of the people in this story some angst, so it must be real. Anyways, Kirk is introduced to the Courier team, which turns out to be... Uh, a pair of ladies, and they're referred to as courier clones, which they're described as the most secure method to cure <laughs> to courier inform or how do you say that word? Is it it's courier, right? Courier? Yeah, isn't that what I'm saying? Yeah, courier. Not not quite, but it's courier. 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 All right. Okay. So and uh, check out the bodies on those women. Oh yeah, they are smoking hot, and they're wearing bathing suits with the little Federation logo on them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's supposed to be, you know, if it was in color, if they would have something underneath the bathing suit so that it was more like a design on their jumpsuit. But when it's in black and white, it just looks like a bathing suit. It's kind of funny. So anyway, so these clones are are referred to as the most secure method to courier information known to science. Um, and like I said, uh, that might be true, but it doesn't hurt that they're pretty hot-looking women. 
All right. So once Kirk and the clones arrive to the bridge, Scotty blows up at the clones and storms off, having a little hissy fit. We get a quick briefing on what a courier clone actually is. And it's when a super secret document needs to travel, a volunteer is cloned twice. The original and the two new clones are then encoded with one-third of the secret message's data. Then when the three are rejoined at their destination, the whole document can then be decoded. An incredibly ineffective way to do it, I think, but who am I to argue with this? So after we find out what the clones' purposes actually are, we discover why Scotty hates them so much. Uh, Come to find out his nephew recently died... Uh, in an attempt to become cloned. So he wanted to be one of these couriers. They tried to clone him, and he somehow died in the process. So we get back to the uh, Enterprise, which the Enterprise is suddenly attacked by a Sangdor warship. And the warship is actually on a collision course. At the very last minute, the engineer team is able to escape without the aid of Scotty, because he's still off having his, his hissy fit. Kirk is called that one of the clones has actually been murdered and that Scotty has been caught red-handed holding the knife. The other clone is in a catatonic state since her other half died. Now Scotty is accused of murder and one half of the message has died and so they're, they're really up the creek here. Once they're starting to get Scotty's side of the story, which is some BS about getting knocked out and waking up with the knife in his hand... I mean, how many times has that happened? So we get that story, and then as he's telling the story, the Enterprise is actually attacked yet again by this Sangdor uh, warship. Bok tries to mind-meld with the catatonic clone sister to find out the truth, uh, and we actually find out that Scotty was actually telling the truth. He did not murder her. The sister herself murdered her. And we get some backstory that she was jealous for some somehow. Two identical twins, cloned from the same person. Somehow one was jealous of the other and killed her. Anyways, she she escapes. She She's able to get away from Spock. And a firefight is, ensues, but she's eventually stunned and recaptured. The attacking ship demands a surrender. Spock is able to mind meld with the remaining clone, who again is stunned. And he's able to somehow get the full message, not just one-third, but the full message out of this one person. He relays the message to the warship, and the warship stops the attack and returns home. And then the final few panels show that the Enterprise is returning to Earth, and that we get a tease that the next story arc will be entitled, Goodbye, Mr. Spock. Yowzers, right? Yes, it's uh, it's an okay story. But I gotta say, one thing that really stands out in my mind is... Kirk has curly permed hair in this. Just like in the movie. There you go. Oh, is that the part of the artwork that you did like? That's about it, yeah. No, I, I shouldn't say that's it. Uh, I think the uh, the clone sisters were, were, were pretty interesting. Especially the, the scene where Kirk is first meeting them. And they have a close-up of like Kirk's head as he's looking at them. As if you, as if the the viewer was like between the two clone <laughs> sisters, and you can actually see their breasts, the side of their breasts, and their nipples. So it's like, <laughs> it's like, ooh, wow, a little racy here. Yes, uh, that is an interesting one. That was the uh, 
February 19th strip. <laughs> strip is right. <laughs> oh, no, wait a minute. Oh, you're talking about the one above it. Oh, my goodness, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> They're nipples. You can see them. Wow. That's amazing. And... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> And, and, and look at the look on Kirk's face. It's like, oh, uh, like okay. At, at, at the left boob of one and the right boob of the other. I mean, he's, <laughs> he, yeah, he's his eyes are are oh my goodness. are going away from each other. I, I, I did not catch that when I read it the first time. And, and he says, <laughs> "What on earth?" <laughs> and what is he doing so low in relationship to them? It's well, he's not that low. It's just the angle of the. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's the angle. Uh, uh, I have no idea. Oh, dude! That is All crazy. I know is they had to get a shot with Kirk's head and two breasts with nipples coming out of it, oh. and that's what they came up with. It worked, man. That is hilarious. Yeah, it's good. It's good. And and, and actually, th- there are some playful little little bits that they do here, which I kind of like. So well, out yeah. of all of it, this is the most cartoony that we've ever seen. I mean, especially like I guess it's supposed to be Admiral Nagoya here at the beginning. Oh no, but no, but is it? I thought I thought he was. Well, okay. So first off, they never mention his name, or yeah. at least I have not found any place where they're mentioning his name. They don't. But and he's I thought the only one that should be giving Kirk orders. Well, okay, but I thought he was Asian because we had that one comic strip. I forgot exactly which comic strip number it was, but it was the one with the uh, regatta, the race. Right, right. And his nephew. And the or nephew. Or grandson or whatever he was. The nephew, grandson, whatever he was, a, a Starfleet cadet. He he looked Asian to me. I thought he was Asian. I think this guy's Asian, and that's what I'm getting no, at. No, there's it's, no way this guy's Asian. Look there on the, uh, on the February 17th page when it shows the guy smoking a cigarette. <laughs> He looks like a black man. Uh, you think so? He looks like a fat, heavy black man. Dude, Look I was the thinking nose. that he was an incredibly, almost racist, stereotypical cartoon version of a of a Asian man. Uh, and and I'll agree with you with the racist part. <laughs> but he looks like a black man to me. Oh, I mean, really? I mean, I, I I I don't want. I mean, I I do agree that the eyes are 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 a bit almond shaped. But look at the nose where he's smoking. Look yeah. at the lips. No, he, I... he 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 look he, he he looks black. But then today. then on the the one the man. same day of the uh, the boob shot, uh, yeah. the first panel of that day, he looks like I said, looks like like something you would yeah. see in a 1930s Bugs Bunny uh, commercial. Uh, uh, cartoon. Okay, I'll agree. I'll agree with that shot. That that shot does look a little bit like Charlie Chan or something. Right. But up until then, many of the shots, ah, he, he he looks like a black man. Mm. But whatever, he is big, he is heavy, he does not look like the typical <laughs> uh, Starfleet types. Certainly nothing like April. What, what was he? Was he Admiral uh, April he was by Admiral then? Admiral April, yeah. I mean, in some of those uh, Marvel comic, old April was looking svelte, <laughs> where. <laughs> This guy is about as opposite of that as you can get. But, you know, I guess he's a, a chair-bound paper pusher. Right. I don't know. Uh, I, I did not like the way he was depicted because I was thinking yeah. that he was 
supposed to be Asian, and I thought it was a little <laughs> unnecessarily uh, racist a little bit. Right. Well, let's talk about some some more bits about the uh, the artistry, can we? Uh, because there's plenty to say. Uh, Spock has pronounced Yoda ears <laughs> in a couple of shots. I mean, it's bad. I mean, there's this one shot where he honestly looks like Yoda. So it's uh, ooh, these aren't page numbered, of course, because they're strips. Right. But but it was it, it actually is on the same physical page that you've got things organized on oh, where yeah. the twins are. But right. towards well, the end of that. Yeah, the, I mean, the February 21st one when he says speculation is both useless and illogical, Mr. Scott. Yeah, but I was thinking more of like the one below, beneath it, which says the, the 222. Oh, okay. Where, oh, where my God. Kirk, <laughs> uh, it, it, he not only has Yoda ears, but he has Yoda ears because the top of the ear is sticking out so far away from his head. He even has a Yoda face. Look at that. It's all squinched up and wizened. <laughs> Wishing you called me a logical in this. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, then looking at some of these, uh, some of these cartoons, they look like maybe somebody in college might have done them. Quickly at that, because so where the Yoda ears are, if you look to the left, that that first one where Kirk says, "Spock, I have to tell you something." Kirk looks really rudimentarily, tr- rudimentarily drawn. Bark looks pretty badly drawn. I don't know what the deal is with his uniform. It looks like it's being pulled in a weird direction. Yeah. In the background, you can see the twins. And then behind that, there's somebody at a wall. And that wall that that guy is working at is... Barren? It looks like a kid's drawing. I. It's, it's, just, very, it's just very basic. Oh, I agree. And, I mean, the way the word balloons are everywhere... It's yeah. very cartoony with the, you know, like the little wispy looking word balloons yeah. instead of like the straight little point like, like sure. you're used to. Sure. Uh, but look on the – it's 2-22, February 22nd, when Scotty is having his little hissy fit and he's like slamming down on something saying, oh, right. freaks, if they come down here. Yeah. <laughs> it, it looks like a – like. Again, to keep bringing up the Bugs Bunny thing, it looks like the way they depicted like Adolf Hitler in the old Bugs Bunny. Yes, yes, he looks like Hitler. He even has the little stance like Hitler and slamming his hands down on an engineering console. Nine, 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 nine. (laughs) Freaks, nine. Uh, Yeah. My inglorious bastards uh, impression. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Now, I was... I worked throughout the whole thing. None of this jumped out at me as like, oh, this is actually kind of cool. Ever. And, and <laughs> I can find something, you know, I can get... How about, how about the nipples? Well, I didn't see it at first. But I might have to recant my statement, but... <laughs> I don't think it... Uh, I mean, even like when they're doing the captain's logs, they make it look like it's handwritten because it's all... The captain's logs actually and a handwriting font and it looks like it's being written out longhand in like a spiral notebook yeah and and, and the first letter in the captain's log is usually very stylized or the word itself captain's log is all in big bubbly letters right the the letterer mixes it up a bit the one I'm looking at the C is huge right no Uh, a really big C and then the the rest of the lettering is, is much smaller yeah 
And then if you take a look at the very beginning of the comic, where it says um, Stardate, 9580.03, the S is a very stylized S. Uh, I don't want to say it's a Superman S, but it's a very stylized big S. It is. So, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of... And then, then oh, actually, the, the, the next row has another very stylized um, S. Yeah, I mean, so, they do yeah. it throughout the whole thing. Like, the, the first letter, if it's uh, if it starts off with some sort of caption, they're all, they're all like that. Yeah. And they say uh, also Starfleet HQ San Francisco. So where they're saying San Francisco, every time they say San Francisco, they seem to be using uh, like a 1920s kind of very stylized font. Right. Again, hand done, but 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 you I mean I I I can envision that particular font in Word, uh, you know. Yeah. When I when I've been doing a document. Right, I can too. So b- back to just artwork in general, and and this maybe was on purpose, but when Kurt calls down to engineering and to thank Scotty and finds out that Scotty is still having his little hissy fit, and uh, another engineer had to do it. Uh, What's with those guys, with this guy's glasses? Oh, what do you mean, eyeglasses? I guess. Drink glasses. I don't know. What he do you looks mean? like freaking Max Headroom. Oh man, uh, I gotta find this. I don't yeah, know where this is. It's on. Oh yes, 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 exactly. Yeah. So like March twenty second or somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like, hey man, uh, I just got these cool glasses, and uh, Scotty's not here right now. <laughs> <laughs> and there's absolutely no explanation of it, none. And I'm like, is that supposed to be some sort of like precursor to the visor, or uh, is this dude I, just I, really I, that cool? I can only assume it must be some kind of radiation eye shielding or something. <laughs> of course, the rest of his body isn't shielded, but at least his eyes have this really cool uh, pair of sunglasses on. Because he's right next to, he's in engineering, right next to what appears to be engines or something. I mean, it looks like the same console Scotty was at in parts of Wrath of Khan. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And and Scotty never sported Max Headroom looking glasses. <laughs> Those look like Oakleys, man. They're, they're very cool. <laughs> I don't think there was Oakleys in the 80s, were there? Probably not. But they look like it now. Anyway, th- th- there were some playful bits I liked. Okay. Like, like there was the part where, oh, sorry for taking us away from, from the Max Headroom thing. Were you done with that? No, I'm done with that. So there was a part where where Kirk was going to talk to the ladies, the clone ladies, and it turns out that there is a yeoman named Flynn who is just entrancing the, the ladies with his wit. And Kirk looks at him and says, Flynn, I admire your ambition, Flynn. Carry on. So... <laughs> I'd be doing it myself, but I'm a busy man, so you have yourself some fun there, Flynn. Now, Flynn is the guy that finds the body later, right? He is. And he looks just and... like Chuck Norris, or not Chuck Norris, uh, Pierce <laughs> Bronson. Oh, he does? He's He's got this big mustache. He looks like, like Pierce Brosnan? Not Pierce Brosnan. Um, uh, Death Wish guy, who's that? Oh, Charles Bronson? Charles Bronson, yeah. Uh, you know, that's funny, because I thought he looked a little bit like like uh, Clifford Clavin in uh, <laughs> Cheers. In Cheers. Now I see, I see Charles Bronson. 
<laughs> see, you see Charles Bronson, I see Clifford Clavin. It's it's funny. It's a funny world. <laughs> no, but you know, I I kind of see the I see Bronson yeah, a little bit. I don't know. He's got the mustache, and I see that. All right. What else about artwork do you want to go over? Because <laughs> we, we could spend all day talking about we, this. Thing. We we could. <laughs> uh, let's not. So, can you explain to me, and maybe I just missed it, what they were going to do once they got the three uh, the three women together, and each one of them had one third of the of the message encoded in their genetic structure. How are they going to get it out of them and into one cohesive document? Well, they're well, they're they're clones. Somehow they go ahead and join together their power rings, and then they're all able to say what the message is, which is so golden and good that it ends the war, even though no one seems to know how it started in the first place. Right, but but does that mean that the original or the original would still be alive? I assume, but would the two clones then be gone? Or would they would they still exist? Well, I think I think they got to kill them. So why? why Bam! How right did to the head. how did the original? I mean, they keep saying that the original. Uh, what was her name? Uh, Leela? No, that wasn't it. Let me look. I don't know. Call her Gidget. Let's move on. <laughs> well, hold on, I'll tell you what her name is. Uh, Lisa. Lisa. There you go. Yeah. Lisa. So there's an original Lisa, and then there's these two clone Lisas. Yes. Right. But they keep saying that the original Lisa, who's already on on the planet, has one third of it encoded in her genetic structure already. Exactly. So they took a person, cloned two versions of them, but somehow they manipulated the first person's genetic structure to have one third of this code or this exactly, message. exactly. Makes and no so sense. they must have figured out the ses- they figured out the message way ahead of time. Since obviously they got it into the original person, and they're already at uh, at the planet. Yeah, I... yeah. That that the whole the whole clone thing was just so odd. Contrived. I... What? Contrived. Yeah, and not explained. I mean, they went through yeah. the purpose of explaining that there's another clone out there, which or another person out there, another Lisa, but right. But when it's all said and done, one of them's dead, and then Spock's able to mind meld with the one clone, and yet she's able to tell them everything that the message said, not right. just one third of it. Yep. Mm, kind of. Yeah, how, how'd that work? I mean, yeah, it, supposedly if each one only physically has one third of it, how did they get everything out of the one person? Good question. Yeah. And. You know, I kept thinking that the only reason why they keep bringing this clone thing up is because in Star Trek II, Scotty's nephew was on board the Enterprise and he died. And so that's why I was really confused why he was so upset that in this story that his nephew had recently died trying to be cloned. So I kept waiting for, okay, at the end we'll find out that they were able to save one of the clones that – from his nephew, and he would be on the Enterprise at the end, but that never happened. So, well, yeah. Uh, so it was just like, what it, are just so I get this straight? Are you insinuating the clone that dies on the ship in, in uh, 
in uh, Wrath of Khan is the same person as Scotty's talking about here? I'm assuming. I don't know. Uh, that's what I was thinking when I was reading it. I'm like, okay, okay, that's why they keep bringing up this clone thing and that Scotty hates clones and then come to find out at the end he gets his nephew back through cloning and that it would be kind of this you know, uh, ironic twist to Scotty's story. But it never happened, so I was probably reading too much into what, what their ultimate plan was. Right. Yeah, well, he definitely can have more than one nephew. True. But um, if, the, if they are actually going to do in the strips um, some form, and I don't know, I haven't read it ahead, maybe you do, uh, some form of Wrath of Khan, where Scotty's going to lose another nephew pretty soon. Which seems like a uh, redoing or starting to retread the same mech, uh, mechanism too many times. Yeah, well, keep in mind that by the time this strip came out, Wrath of Khan had already been in the theaters for yep a good long time. Right. So, but anybody reading but the what, novel or anything would already know <coughs> that that was definitely Scotty's nephew. Right. But again, that's assuming uh, that you know people do their homework what, when they're writing these things. Well, he can have more than one nephew. He can. He can. <clears throat> yep. Anyways, I was just thinking that that would have been a cool little twist. You know, have Scotty hate clones. He's really treating these two clone women bad. And then come to find out at the end, oh, yeah, we were able to give you your nephew back because, you know. The wonders of technology. Right. And he and died then, while trying sorry, to be cloned. He dies again. <laughs> I wasn't thinking that far ahead. That would have sucked. Here's your <laughs> back, and now he wants to be part of the crew, and he's dead. And he's going to be in the engineering section just with you, Uncle Scotty, and he dies. Uh, okay. Yeah, you're right. That would have sucked. <laughs> uh, all right. Anything else, uh, Ken? Not really. Not really. So all you had to talk about was the art. Pretty much. <laughs> All right, so I guess that's that's it for this installment. Give me two seconds, and I'll make sure that nothing else happened that month. I haven't checked it, to tell you the truth. In the Star Trek universe. What was it, uh, June of... June 1981. All right, so... Da, da, da. Oh, all right, sorry. So elsewhere in Star Trek, June 1981, which is when the Marvel comic number 14 came out, the second of the original series novels came out from Pocket Books. This one entitled The Entropy Effect by Vonda N. McIntyre. I've read some of her other stuff, but uh, I have not read this one. Looks like it's about them transporting a dangerous criminal from a starbase prison to a rehabilitation center and oh, he escapes. So basically it's a prisoner aboard the Enterprise type uh, deal. Kind of similar to The Haunting of Thallus, which we had in Marvel Comics number four and five. Like I said, I have not read this one. Um, I've seen it in the bookstores a few times, but never picked it up. That's it. Uh, The the woman, uh, Vonda N. McIntyre, she also wrote the novelization for Star Trek The Wrath of Khan and Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. And, and, And quite a few other Star Trek novels. The First Adventure, and Duty, Honor, and Redemption being the big ones. All right, so uh, next week, episode number 38 will be our 15th of the post-motion picture era 
series, and we're actually going to be covering three stories, Marvel number 15 and comic strip number 17 and 18. Like I said, the strips are getting shorter, though, so those will go pretty quick, I think. So, any other closing remarks there, Ken? No, except to say um, thanks, everybody, for joining us on Star Trek Comic Book Review. And if anybody wants to send us an email, you can always reach us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Anybody. Just, just say hi. Just just do it. <laughs> Pull over right now on the side of the road. Send us send us an email. Yes. We, There'll be nothing in it, but they'll send us an we email. We want to hear from you. Well, at least it'll prove yeah. that. <laughs> exactly. Some, Which would be helpful. Okay. Until then, take care, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.